Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Spoiler Alert Podcast, the sixth best picture winner from 1933, I guess, Cavalcade. Danny, how are you doing tonight? Cavalcade! <laughs> We've been waiting for this one. We've been waiting for the best picture choosing machine. I cannot tell you machine. how excited I was. Actually, everyone I bet can guess. Just, just dread. You know, sometimes when the best picture choosing machine comes up, yes. I'm really excited, and sometimes I'm just sort of crossing my fingers, and I'm silently saying prayers, and then you say something like "cavalcade" from 1933, and I just want to throw myself out a window. Do you feel like 88% of the time we just sort of shrug and are like, okay. And then like, there's these few that were like, oh, sweet. It's French Connection or it's yes. Godfather or yes. it's it's uh, Departed or No Country for Old Men or something awesome. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's an equal it's distribution. A norm- yes. It's a normalized bell curve, but there are tails. I feel like I live and die by the tail risk. You're right. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, man, 1933. Interesting year for, well, if that can be said, interesting year for the Academy Awards in that in 1933, uh, Walt Disney won an Academy Award for his animated short, The Three Little Pigs. Right. And he was the first person to publicly uh, say the the name Oscar for the Academy Awards statuette. Oh, interesting. Before that, it was just sort of industry jargon kind of behind the scenes. And he mentioned winning an Oscar Oh. So therefore, kind of coining the term publicly. Very cool. Uh, so, yeah, we can thank Walt for that. I like Walt that, that bit of trivia. That's nice, yeah. This was also the first Academy Award won by Fox Studios. Okay. Which, you know, 80 plus years later is now owned by the Walt Disney Company. So, no longer exists. And Walt kind of ate their lunch again as well. <laughs> and well, I thought then, this Walt. was an interesting piece of uh, trivia, which I feel bad about. So Cavalcade won three Academy Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Art Direction, and the Best Director for Frank Lloyd. Well, Roy Rogers was hosting the Academy Awards that evening, and he made a big deal of building up the Best Director and say how excited he was. And he's seen this director come from nothing. And then he just said, so Frank, get on up here. And Frank, and Frank Lloyd Capra went and sprinting. Frank Capra yes. got out of their seats, yeah. And of course, it was announced that it was Frank Lloyd. Oops. And Capra had to do like the walk of shame back that to his seat. That sucks. That's so embarrassing. Eee. Yeah, I get. I guess he tried to like cover it up by then like bringing up the third best director nominee to kind of like get a picture up on the stage or something like that. But oh, talk yeah, we're all about buddies it. here. Uh, one winner and two losers. Let's do it. Talk about in the bed. That really sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's a toughie. Yeah, speaking of bed, uh, do you know any of these other movies? Like, do you know anything else that was now? Have you seen any of these? Uh, not the nominees, no. I, I saw that there were, um, like, The Invisible Man came out that year, the Universal yeah. Studios monster movie. And there were a few other movies from 33 when I looked through the list. And interestingly enough, again, I use that word loosely here, uh, this is actually like from 1932 slash 33 because right. they used to have a really long eligibility cycle. It wasn't just the calendar year. This is the Correct, last year yeah. they did that. So starting in 34, it's films released in 34. So I think this um, is I, – I think yeah. if I remember what I read correctly, this was the longest eligibility period for yes. any of the Academy Awards. And of course, this is early in their career. I mean <laughs> – I think that it's hilarious that the the poster for this film is bills it as the picture of the generation, and it's yeah. like 
it's like the sixth Academy Award <laughs> Best Picture, and like probably only the fourth that had talking in it. So I just think that that's all kind of hilarious. This defines us as a people. Right, 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 right. Yes, it's it's quite something. Uh, we got Paul Muni. Our friend from, uh, what the hell movie did we review, Once Upon a Time, another Best Picture winner? He was nominated for Best Actor, did not win. Uh, and he was, no- he was nominated for the film I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, which I think is a great sounding title for a movie. That's a crazy, like, 70s exploitation movie type yeah. of title. <laughs> right, right, yes. Like, I feel like Tarantino just wet himself a little bit thinking, <laughs> yes. why didn't I use I, that for why my did title? I, why did I miss out on that one? And then you have <laughs> the, the Academy Award for Best Assistant Director. Which was won by seven people, though another thirteen didn't win. Which is yeah. like talk about talk about how you feel walking out of that place. Like I had a one in three chance of getting one of these Oscars. Well, that was that. I th- honestly thought in some of the materials I looked at that that might have been a misprint or something because there were twenty nominees and seven winners, but then Best Actor <laughs> there were only three nominees. Right? It's so weird. What the, what, Hollywood was all about the assistant director position. That's. <laughs> right. I guess if there was a golden age of being an assistant director, it was 1933. Yeah. Yeah. And then early 32, there was like this weird long window. (laughs) Right. Right. Maybe that's why they switched it. Maybe they just had so many, like such a bumper crop of great assistant directors. They thought, we just got to go to calendar year to try and limit this pool. Yeah. Because we had to tell, you know, 13 really qualified people, I'm sorry you didn't win. Yeah. Interesting. Well, buddy, why don't you give us a quick plot recap of Cavalcade for the few people in our listening audience who haven't seen this one already. Sure. I know it's everyone's favorite, so I'm preaching to the choir. And I'll keep this tight. This is an adaptation of a Noel Coward play, which I imagine at the time was a roaring success and everybody already knew. And thus the film version really just defined a generation from the get-go. But at the highest level... You could say this film is about the British experience uh, from 1899 until 1933, really seen through the eyes of an upper middle class family, in this case, the Marriott's. And we also experience life through the eyes of more of a working class family, the Bridges. And events that are included um, are the Second Anglo-Boer War, the death of Queen Victoria, the sinking of the Titanic, World War One and its aftermath. And so we see this family through good times and bad, watching their children grow up, watching their children go to war, uh, seeing losses in the family, uh, people falling in and out of love, and generally just living through 34 years in a time when not a lot of people lived all that much longer than 34 years. Mm, that's so like, yeah. that's Cavalcade. What did you think of this movie? You know, it was largely as expected, and by that I mean it's an adaptation of a play, so lots of it felt like it was a play, and I felt like many of the actors were acting to the audience, really sort of hamming it up and just very melodramatic. Sure. Um, But there there was a lot going on, and this was quite an epic. I mean, thankfully, it was just under two hours. I. I was sweating when I first glanced at the runtime. Yeah, I thought this yeah, is right. going to be one of those it's, it's three, three, hours, three hour long movies. Yes, totally. Yes, yes. Yeah. I absolutely expected so that. So it's mercifully yes. shorter than that. <laughs> but I will say um, the movie itself and just, you know, the decades that it covers, I feel like is a very 
specific type of mil- a film, like a genre of film unto itself. And I feel like this is pretty much what Downton Abbey did. It just spread it out over four seasons of television. Oh, okay. All right. And so, you know, if you want to see both the upper crust and the middle class and the working class in England in the late 1890s through World War One and beyond, I just watched Downton Abbey these days. It'll take you a lot longer, but the acting's great. The production values are fantastic. The music is fun. On It has Maggie Smith. I mean, there's a hundred good reasons why you should watch Downton Abbey, but... I guess in 1933, you didn't have that option, so this is what you had, and it sort of fits that bill. What'd you think? I would concur with a lot of what you just said right there. This is one of those that, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I found it kind of boring, but like the Broadway melody of 1929, where we could look at it and say, like, I can't believe that they could do some of these things in the film industry at this time period, like that. Zeppelin shot over New York at the beginning of Broadway Melody of 1929. I think there were a few moments like that in here that I thought were really impressive. I think that production value for the 1930s, especially when you think of like, this is just a few minutes after talking films were born in America. That's pretty amazing that that they're able to get these huge number of costumes and these huge number of extras and all these speaking parts and for that reason I could appreciate it it was it was just not the most enthralling sit yeah. that I've had for a best picture winner yeah. thus far yeah I think that's really fair and I did find that this film is tied for the lowest IMDb rating of any best oh, picture boy. winner okay. it's tied with Cimarron okay <laughs> Which I oh, we liked. Have an, we liked that one a little bit. Yes. I have an affinity for Cimarron because it's like a drinking game. It's just so bonkers <laughs> insane. This one, I, I agree with many of the things you said, although, and I'll give it a bit of a pass because it was made probably in late 31, early 32. Sure. Yeah. And so really coming off of and still relatively deep in the Great Depression. And so I was rather impressed with some of what they could get done knowing that budgets must have been crazy and just the film going public um didn't have a lot of disposable income to go to the movies because there were a lot of things that were really impressive but i was actually candidly a little disappointed in things like the world war one sequences in this movie i thought they were told in very strange like film montage of guys just making weird faces over like the newspaper and this is Two or three years after All Quiet on the Western Front blew me away with its war scenes. Right. And so, like, I know it's possible, and you know how terrible people have already seen World War One, World War One portrayed, and then to see it here just sort of glossed over a little bit felt kind of like a loss or like a like a real weak. I'd go a little further and say that that, that whole montage was kind of crazy pants because they keep intercutting it with, like, the burlesque like lounge show or or, yeah. or whatever the vaudeville thing is that's going on and the scene goes on for a good three minutes like it's yeah it's not just your typical like frank capra montage that takes about 45 seconds and it's a wonderful life it's like this is going on forever and ever and it's kind of weird like trippy like remember the movie the doors like that oliver stone yeah. did like it's sort of something like that it was really odd and then they do another one at the end of the film too that I couldn't quite get 
why it was placed there. So yeah. I thought that I agree with you. We had already seen the horrors of war captured on celluloid prior to this, and then this one kind of stepped in it. Yeah. This is this movie is also really emblematic. When I was growing up, and, and even to this day, when I watch really old films, I candidly cannot tell how old anybody is. There's a couple in this film, the Bridges. They're the working class couple who start in the service of the Marriotts and eventually, after the uh, Second Anglo-Boer War, sort of break out on their own to start a, a pub. And I couldn't tell if both of those actors were 30 years old or 60 years old. I know. Because they just look rough. (laughs) P.S. The woman is played by Una O'Connor, who actually originated the character of Bridges in the the British play and came to the States because she was so in black. She was born in 1880, so she was actually about 50 when this movie starts. And then uh, her husband... The actor, he was only 35 when he filmed this role, and he died five years later when he was 40 in a car accident. Oh, wow. So they both looked crazy old to me, and in the movie they have an infant. And so it's very hard for me to understand how old – but everyone just seems ancient. And I don't know if it's all the smoking or just like the old black lung or what, but (laughs) – just a, just tough. So I'm like, I don't know if this is, and then conversely, there's like a, there's like a child, you know, some children in this movie. And then like six years later in the timeline, they're like 35 years old. So it just bonkers the other way where they should be like 18 or 19 years old. Instead, they look like they've had a mortgage for 15 years. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like people look odd. Like we've joked about this in the past, like in, in some of these older best picture winners, like are they wearing a weird amount of makeup? Like why why do their eyes look like that? Like what what what's happening with them? Yes. Um there was one scene that I found particularly nice. And I mean, it's a tough scene to watch and I Honestly, like this movie got so boring to me that I can't quite remember the circumstances that set it up. But it's high praise. It, it, we're at the armistice. Like we've we've yep. we've fi- we, the the war is finally over, and a woman has lost her, I believe, husband, not son. I can't remember now anymore. But it's a but she goes out into the street and she's waving the flag and she's crying and she's well, completely relieved. That's Lady Marriott. That's Lady and Marriott. She lost okay. her son. Yeah, and she yep. lost her son and her second son. And, that was a really touching moment to me that she was out in the street celebrating, sobbing, mourning the loss of her loved one, yet celebrating the end of this horrible conflict. And I thought, this is this is like the one scene that kind of got to me in the entire movie. Got it. Another theme from this movie that that has to do with the war scenes that has carried on for a number of other movies we've seen over the years is characters in this movie, the British characters seem really psyched about going to war. Yeah, that's all true. the dudes yes. are like, dude, I can't wait to go to war. This is going to be freaking awesome. I mean, first of all, it's only going to be like two weeks long and it'll be no problem. And, and we'll no just one crush ever dies. Yeah. yeah right. Right. It's right. awesome. And I'm just thinking, is anyone really that excited ever to go to war? But this movie plays it out like even when um, the young boy, Joey, the soldier, sees his, his father, Lord Marriott, uh, 
his dad tells him, yeah, they're talking about an armistice and we could be just days away from this war being over. Even then, even after years of being in the army and seeing what he's seen, Joey's like, no, like say it ain't so we're going to have an armistice. We're going to stop this war. Why? And then he dies days later, like on Armistice Day. He's like the last guy who dies like the, in this war. The worst luck ever. Yeah, I but shouldn't be laughing. He about seems this like genuinely, <laughs> yeah, disappointed. Like disappointed. At the thought of it. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I just think, really, was that honestly the the mentality? It's so hard to tell, you know, after eighty years of film, and some of this is propaganda, and some of this is, you know, the stiff uh, stiff upper lip, and just sort of the British mentality, but. It just seems like macabre that yeah, people would be does. so yes. psyched about going to war. Well, and speaking of what we've seen with all of these older British films as well, the first note I took is I can't understand the woman's voice who answers the door. It is the worst voice that I've ever heard. And then the <laughs> second note I took was actually it's all of these women. Why do they sound like this? Like I I have to put on subtitles to understand a freaking word that anybody is saying in this time period of British history. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? Well, and Lady Marriott, again, she she's she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress, but I feel like she's one of the the biggest um, culprits of overacting in that she her voice keeps trembling like through the whole movie. Like she'll yell yes. at her kids because they're playing soldier after the, her husband went to war, and she says, "Can't you play any other, any other game than soldiers?" <laughs> and like, <laughs> like everything ends with this quavering vibrato that's like just overacting, just melodramatic. <laughs> And it's pervasive, <laughs> the whole movie. I actually wrote down, are these British actors or are these American actors with the worst British accents right. of all time? I, I, don't, I don't know. Because yeah. they were pretty terrible. They were bad, yes. Maybe British people have realized that their accents were terrible and they've tailored them to just sound awesome enough to our ears that now we all like a British accent? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, I also really disliked the musical numbers in the film. Oh, like, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know that musicals aren't always both of our favorites. I probably lean a little more to the I can tolerate it than you do. Our listeners but, can't see the death stare that I'm giving you and that I'm not a musical guy. <laughs> but dang, these were bad. Like, it made me long for the days of the Broadway melody of 1929. <laughs> <laughs> they were bad and long. I yes. wrote one of these said, "What's up with?" There's a seven-minute scene of a play within the play here. Oh, That's God. a long time. I know that Noel Coward wrote these songs and was probably proud of them, but clippity clop, <laughs> let's get through this. The whole sequence was just to set up the fact that we're at war, or right. that you know, or that, that, uh, that, that the couple is going to meet again, the lines or something. Yeah, yeah right, it just right. felt like you could have done that in ninety seconds. You didn't need seven minutes of my life. Yes. What's up with the stupid organ grinder in the street who's always playing the same song? It felt like Roma from Netflix, that terrible Mexico City That film. movie was great. That movie that was, was great. That was terrible. But you got to admit, that was like, it was almost like Roma was calling back to Cavalcade. <laughs> what's, what's up with the fact that this is now the second best picture winner in a short amount of time 
where there's a dude hanging out in a woman's room watching her dress. Like, this one was creepier than Grand Hotel, because he's actually watching her change in this one. The other one, he was hiding behind the the curtains, but this was weirder. No, this one was, no, the other one was way, way weirder. Grand Hotel was way weirder. This one, I actually said, I don't know why she's freaking out. She left her door open. So he's standing behind the door, which is wide open, and she's getting undressed. And he's like, do I leave? She's getting undressed. It's getting weird in here. But everybody in the building who walks by the door could see see her. So it's not like she's she's in private and thinks she's all alone. She's an exhibitionist throwing her her stuff all over the place. That's great. What's up with Old Lang Syne being to this movie what that song from Platoon was? How many freaking times did we hear Old Lang Syne? Also, none of the characters here know the words to that song either. Right, right. And then it's like a brand new song at the time. So, so what's up with that dressing room scene being less creepy than the scene of that barbershop quintet where there's like an eight foot tall guy? That was like creepier than the Toy Story 4 mannequins pushing the dollar up. Slender Man. Yeah, very. He was the creepy he was killer Slenderman. Freaking terrifying. Yeah, that that guy's <laughs> gotta get off stage now. Yeah. Well, what's up with the 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 girl, Fanny Bridges? You know, he goes back to her dressing room after his friends are like, boy, that that chick can dance. She comes out and slowly kind of twirls in a circle for about 80 seconds. Something that every human in that room could have done and she basically gets a standing ovation and you get the sense that was her one show that night like all she does is go and twirl in a circle for 80 seconds and she's like the star of the show what is up with that what is could, up with that could there be a sweet also what's up with immediately there's an air raid and they're told to go to the basement and she's like let's go to the roof they and they let's call go they, descri- the bo- they, they described it as thrilling like They described it as thrilling. They're on the roof watching their city getting bombed and described it as thrilling. That was something. What, what, what's up with the woman who like, I think realizes that one of her loved ones has perished in the war, like due to a telegram that came through. So she faints in the room and a couple of the other women are just like, let's get out of here. Like they, they, like they don't attend to her at all. Like. What's up with you not knowing that that's Lady Marriott responding keep, to the telegram I, I, that her second son has died? She's the main character. I, I keep forgetting. I was so You're just bored. like, what's I, up with some broad bo- happening? Bo- bored to tears. <laughs> bored to tears. <laughs> what's up with how bad the the war scenes are? There's actually an airplane, um, like a model of an airplane shown. First is a guy flying over the English Channel. And I swear yeah. to God, it's like a balsa wood plane. <laughs> That a child just dangled by on a string in front of the camera. It was the worst, like, B-roll pickup shot of all time. Like, the special effects here straight up sucked. They sucked, yes, yes. What's up with her first son, Lady Merritt's first son, Edward, the one who goes and gets married and is honeymooning on the ship, looking just like Bill Hader, first of all. And he and his wife, they're on their honeymoon, and this whole conversation she's having is about how they're doomed to not be happy. It's like, wow, this is really the you know discussion to be on right, your honeymoon. This, right, this she's basically hours like, it's all after. over for us. Yeah, right. It's all over. There's no happiness to be had. And then she, of course, says, 
but we've got each other and this is our perfect moment and the camera does the big pullback and they're on the Titanic. That was so cheesy. Like, it, it was, was a laugh and, out the, loud, and the music like a, gets so yeah. loud. It's just are you kidding me? This is absurd. Okay, since I don't know who any of the characters are, who's the guy that becomes the alcoholic and opens the bar? What's his Bridges. name? Bridges. Bridges. Mr. What, Bridges. What, what's up when Bridges gets run over by the yeah. horse-drawn carriage that the like party outside doesn't stop? Like Nobody seems to care. The horses keep going. The, the fire brigade's moving. <laughs> nobody gives a <laughs> this guy got run over, except... Even not his daughter. Like, his daughter's no. not really that concerned either. His wife is a little upset for a minute. Right. Mrs. Bridges and- is upset, but you're right. His daughter, Fanny, is dancing in, like, a way that you kind of wonder, like, is she not... Is she in, is she in on this, or is she off? No. Like, is she kind of... Yeah, like, I thought, like, not- she got some cognitive difficulties, like... No one's going to bother Fanny with the fact that her dad just died 10 feet from her. We're just right. going to let her stare in a space and dance and gaily. dance in the street with these yeah. gypsies. Yeah, that was weird. That was really <laughs> gypsies. odd. Yeah. That's what? right. What's up with near the end of the film? We cut back after after the World War and suddenly they just jump a number of years and you don't know how long until you realize it's somewhere in the 20s or 30s. And this guy comes out and says, here comes Fanny Bridges with her new song hit. So first of all, you have song hits. Okay, song hits. This woman comes out in 1933, and her new song hit is called The 20th Century Blues. (laughs) The 20th Century is a third over, and she's singing a song about how people have the blues because it's the 20th century. P.S. This sequence, this song, gets a huge applause from the audience and then is immediately followed up with jazz music and everybody just freaking drinking champagne and dancing. <laughs> right, so it's right. like, they're all moping in their liquor about the 20th century blues. And then Until like, the liquor the comes out. Century? Yeah, it's rock. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh. insane. And then what's up with this movie ending back in the living room on New Year's Eve. So we get the organ grinder and old Lang Syne again. We got, we got I the just, full... Full circle. Oh, the full yeah. cavalcade. This yeah, movie just didn't disappoint. <laughs> Given the old full cavalcade, nothing you could do about it. Well, I think per usual with our older best picture winners, we've done most of this show on What's Up With. What's Are you ready with? for five questions? Let's do it. All right, we've got five listeners submitted questions. Thank you, listeners. Uh, question number one. This won the best director Oscar for Frank Lloyd, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He won Best Director for this. All right. Question number two. How thankful are you that this wasn't one of the Academy's longest Best Picture winners? (laughs) Quite quite thankful. Yes. All right. Question number three. Did you prefer Diana Woodward in this role, or did you like her better in Reunion in Vienna? Well, I'm a big Reunion in Vienna guy. Okay. All right. Huge, good. Huge, really. Yeah. That's that's kind of one of your your that's top. That's my. Re- you should listen to my reunion in Vienna podcast for each week, <laughs> my solo podcast endeavor where I just talk about that movie <laughs> you over just and over. Di- dissect a minute per week. I love it. Yes, it's one of my <laughs> it's like favorites. The too. Film. I sub- I subscribe to it. Don't worry. Question number four. Tomato meter is at fifty eight percent and audience score at twenty five percent on this Ooh. one. What the hell happened? <laughs> 
Well, how many people have seen this movie? I mean, this is one of those ones, again, where I am thankful that we do this. I never in my lifetime would have seen this movie. I don't know anyone other than you who's seen it. So... I agree, yes. I wouldn't rate it very highly. So, yeah, I think that's about fair. But this is just one of those ones like Cimarron that... If you're not some idiot doing a podcast, why would you go back and revisit some of these? You wouldn't. No, no. Agreed. Final question. Can you think of a worse way to go than being run over by a horse-drawn fire brigade in the streets? Um... How about dragged behind a, a horse-drawn fire brigade <laughs> for a fair. couple of miles? Yeah. Yeah. Like, just kind of like, slowly getting smashed a bit. They, they haven't even, like, quite gotten to full speed, and you're, like, bleeding. <laughs> right. they're, just, they're, like, getting a little anxious, but they like, don't know where the they're going yet. get thicker and thicker, <laughs> and, like, and finally get that one that's, like, a good inch, and that's what does it. But these little half-inchers are just... It's going to run into a quarry, and you're... <laughs> Oh, yes, that so would be bad. worse. That it's would bad. be worse. Okay. All right. That's five questions. Thank All you, right. listeners. Thanks, listeners. Thanks. Great <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, I think we've done final thoughts, and we talked at the opening. I haven't seen any of the other Best Picture nominees, so I don't no. know if the Academy got it right. No. I'm just glad that Frank got his Oscar. Yes. <laughs> Frank. Any Frank. Any Frank Any Frank do. that yeah. year. I think uh, that's just great. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats to Frank. Or Frank's. Right. Uh, Capper got his eventually. So he got or, his actually, eventually. Had he, had he already had one by this point? I don't remember. But that eh, doesn't matter. He no, got, he, got he got at least a couple. 1938, okay. he went for uh, You Can't Take It With You. All right. I'm glad that we saw it. I'm a little sad that I own it. Uh, and <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, this is just, this just taking up, it's just taking up space on the shelf at this point. If anyone wants to borrow Mike's copy... <laughs> Shoot him an email or send him a tweet. He'll happily send it to you. You just cover shipping. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Movie Outsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies. <laughs>